Chapters four to five of Book six of Toilers of the Sea, Part one. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Adams. Toilers of the Sea, Part one. Sieur Clubin. By Victor Hugo. Translated by W. Moy Thomas. Book six. The Drunken Steersman and the Sober Captain. Chapter four. Captain Clubin displays all his great qualities. Everybody turned. It was the captain calling to the helmsman. Sieur Clubin's tone and manner evidenced that he was extremely angry, or that he wished to appear so. A well-timed burst of anger sometimes removes responsibility, and sometimes shifts it on to other shoulders. The captain, standing on the bridge between the two paddle-boxes, fixed his eyes on the helmsman. He repeated, between his teeth, drunkard. The unlucky Tongruil hung his head. The fog had made progress. It filled by this time nearly one-half of the horizon. It seemed to advance from every quarter at the same time. There is something in a fog of the nature of a drop of oil upon the water. It enlarged insensibly. The light wind moved it onward slowly and silently. By little and little it took possession of the ocean. It was coming chiefly from the northwest, dead ahead. The ship had it before her prow, like a line of cliff moving vast and vague. It rose from the sea like a wall. There was an exact point where the wide waters entered the fog and were lost to sight. This line of the commencement of the fog was still above half a league distant. The interval was visibly growing less and less. The Durande made way. The fog made way also. It was drawing nearer to the vessel, while the vessel was drawing nearer to it. Clubin gave the order to put on more steam and to hold off the coast. Thus, for some time, they skirted the edge of the fog, but still it advanced. The vessel, meanwhile, sailed in broad sunlight. Time was lost in these manoeuvres, which had little chance of success. Nightfall comes quickly in February. The native of Guernsey was meditating upon the subject of this fog. He said to the San Marlo men, "'It will be thick!' "'An ugly sort of weather at sea,' observed one of the San Marlo men. The other added, "'A kind of thing which spoils a good passage.' The Guernsey passenger approached Clubin and said, "'I'm afraid, Captain, that the fog will catch us.' Clubin replied, "'I wish to stay at San Marlo, but I was advised to go.' "'By whom? By some old sailors?' "'You are certainly right to go,' said the Guernsey man. "'Who knows whether there will not be a tempest to-morrow? "'At this season you may wait and find it worse.' A few moments later the Durande entered the fog-bank. The effect was singular. Suddenly those who were on the after-deck could not see those forward. A soft grey medium divided the ship in two. Then the entire vessel passed into the fog. The sun became like a dull red moon. Everybody suddenly shivered. The passengers put on their overcoats, and the sailors their tarpaulins. The sea, almost without a ripple, was the more menacing from its cold tranquillity. All was pale and wan. The black funnel and the heavy smoke struggled with the dewy mist which enshrouded the vessel. 
dropping to westward was now useless the captain kept the vessel's head again towards guernsey and gave orders to put on the steam the guernsey passenger hanging about the engine-room hatchway heard the negro embrancam talking to his engineer comrade the passenger listened the negro said this morning in the sun we were going half steam on now in the fog we put on steam the guernsey man returned to clubin captain clubin a lookout is useless but have we not too much steam on what can i do sir we must make up for time lost through the fault of that drunkard of a helmsman true captain clubin and clubin added i am anxious to arrive it is foggy enough by day it would be rather too much at night the guernsey man rejoined his san malo fellow passengers and remarked we have an excellent captain at intervals great waves of mist bore down heavily upon them and blotted out the sun which again issued out of them pale and sickly the little that could be seen of the heavens resembled the long strips of painted sky dirty and smeared with oil among the old scenery of a theatre the durande passed close to a cutter which had cast anchor for safety it was the shieltiel of guernsey the master of the cutter remarked the high speed of the steam vessel it struck him also that she was not in her exact course she seemed to him to bear to westward too much the apparition of this vessel under full steam in the fog surprised him towards two o'clock the weather had become so thick that the captain was obliged to leave the bridge and plant himself near the steersman the sun had vanished and all was fog a sort of ashy darkness surrounded the ship they were navigating in a pale shroud they could see neither sky nor water there was not a breath of wind the can of turpentine suspended under the bridge between the paddle boxes did not even oscillate the passengers had become silent the Parisian, however, hummed between his teeth the song of Béranger. Un jour le bon Dieu s'éveillant. One of the Saint-Malo passengers addressed him, You're from Paris, sir? Yes, sir. Il mit la tête à la fenêtre. What do they do in Paris? Le planète à Paris, peut-être. In Paris, sir, things are going on very badly. Then it's the same shore as at sea. It is true we have an abominable fog here, one which might involve us in misfortunes. The Parisian exclaimed, Yes, and why all these misfortunes in the world? Misfortunes! What are they sent for, these misfortunes? What use do they serve? There was the fire at the Odeon Theatre, and immediately a number of families thrown out of employment. Is that just? I don't know what is your religion, sir, but I am puzzled by all this so am i said the san malo man everything that happens here below continued the parisian seems to go wrong it looks as if providence for some reason no longer watched over the world the san malo man scratched the top of his head like one making an effort to understand the parisian continued our guardian angel seems to be absent there ought to be a decree against celestial absenteeism he is at his country house and takes no notice of us so all gets in disorder 
It is evident that this guardian is not in the government. He is taking holiday, leaving some vicar, some seminarist angel, some wretched creature with sparrow's wings, to look after affairs. Captain Clumbin, who had approached the speakers during this conversation, laid his hand upon the shoulder of the Parisian. "'Silence, sir,' he said. "'Keep a watch upon your words. We are upon the sea.' No one spoke again aloud. After a pause of five minutes, the Guernsey man, who had heard all this, whispered in the ear of the San Marlo passenger, "'A religious man, our captain.' It did not rain, but all felt their clothing wet. The crew took no heed of the way they were making, but there was increased sense of uneasiness. They seemed to have entered into a doleful region. The fog makes a deep silence on the sea. It calms the waves and stifles the wind. In the midst of this silence, the creaking of the Durande communicated a strange, indefinable feeling of melancholy and disquietude. They passed no more vessels. If afar off, in the direction of Guernsey or in that of San Malo, any vessels were at sea outside the fog, the Durande, submerged in the dense cloud, must have been invisible to them, while her long trail of smoke, attached to nothing, looked like a black comet in the pale sky. Suddenly Clubin roared out, "'Hang, dog! You have played us an ugly trick! You will have done us some damage before we are out of this! You deserve to be put in irons! Get you gone, drunkard!' And he seized the helm himself. The steersman, humbled, shrunk away to take part in the duties forward. The Guernsey man said, "'That will save us!' The vessel was still making way rapidly. Towards three o'clock the lower part of the fog began to clear, and they could see the sea again. A mist can only be dispersed by the sun or the wind. By the sun is well, by the wind is not so well. At three o'clock in the afternoon, in the month of February, the sun is always weak. A return of the wind at this crucial point in a voyage is not desirable. It is often the forerunner of a hurricane. If there was any breeze, however, it was scarcely perceptible. Clubin, with his eye on the binnacle, holding the tiller and steering, muttered to himself some words like the following, which reached the ears of the passengers. "'No time to be lost. That drunken rascal has retarded us.' His visage, meanwhile, was absolutely without expression. The sea was less calm under the mist. A few waves were distinguishable. Little patches of light appeared on the surface of the water. These luminous patches attract the attention of the sailors. They indicate openings made by the wind in the overhanging roof of fog. The cloud rose a little, and then sunk heavier. Sometimes the density was perfect. The ship was involved in a sort of foggy iceberg. At intervals this terrible circle opened a little, like a pair of pincers, showed a glimpse of the horizon, and then closed again. Meanwhile the Guernsey man, armed with his spy-glass, was standing like a sentinel in the forepart of the vessel. An opening appeared for a moment, and was blotted out again. The Guernsey man returned alarmed. "'Captain Clubin!' "'What is the matter?' "'We are steering right upon the handways.' 
"'You are mistaken,' said Clubin coldly. "'The Guernsey man insisted. "'I am sure of it. "'Impossible. "'I have just seen the rock in the horizon. "'Where? "'Out yonder. "'It is the open sea there. "'Impossible.' "'And Clubin kept the vessel's head "'to the point indicated by the passenger.' the guernsey man seized his spy-glass again a moment later he came running aft again captain well tack about why i'm certain of having seen a very high rock just ahead it is the great hanway you have seen nothing but a thicker bank of fog it is the great hanway tack in the name of heaven clubin gave the helm a turn Chapter 5. Clubin Reaches the Crowning Point of Glory A crash was heard. The ripping of a vessel's side upon a sunken reef in open sea is the most dismal sound of which man can dream. The Durand's course was stopped short. Several passengers were knocked down with a shock and rolled upon the deck. The Guernsey man raised his hands to heaven. We're on the handways! I predicted it! a long cry went up from the ship we are lost the voice of clubin dry and short was heard above all no one is lost silence the black form of imbrancam naked down to the waist issued from the hatchway of the engine-room the negro said with self-possession the water is gaining captain the fires will soon be out the moment was terrible the shock was like that of a suicide. If the disaster had been wilfully sought, it could not have been more terrible. The Durande had rushed upon her fate as if she had attacked the rock itself. A point had pierced her sides like a wedge. More than six feet square of planking had gone. The stem was broken, the prow smashed, and the gaping hull drank in the sea with a horrible gulping noise. It was an entrance for wreck and ruin. The rebound was so violent that it had shattered the rudder pennants. The rudder itself hung unhinged and flapping. The rock had driven in her keel. Round about the vessel nothing was visible except a thick, compact fog, now becoming somber. Night was gathering fast. The Durande plunged forward. It was like the effort of a horse pierced through the entrails by the horns of a bull. All was over with her. Tongrouille was sobered. Nobody is drunk in the moment of a shipwreck. He came down to the quarter-deck, went up again, and said, "'Captain, the water is gaining rapidly in the hold. In ten minutes it will be up to the scupper-holes.' The passengers ran about bewildered, wringing their hands, leaning over the bulwarks, looking down into the engine-room, and making every other sort of useless movement in their terror. The tourist had fainted.' Clubin made a sign with his hand, and they were silent. He questioned Imbrancam. How long will the engines work yet? Five or six minutes, sir. Then he interrogated the Guernsey passenger. I was at the helm. You saw the rock. On which bank of the Hanways are we? On the Mauve. Just now, in the opening in the fog, I saw it clearly. If we're on the Mauve, remarked Clubin, we have the great Hanway on the port side and the little Hanway on the starboard bow. We are a mile from the shore. The crew and passengers listened, fixing their eyes anxiously and attentively on the captain. Lightening the ship would have been of no avail, and indeed would have been hardly possible. In order to throw the cargo overboard, they would have had to open the ports and increase the chance of the water entering. 
to cast anchor would have been equally useless they were stuck fast besides with such a bottom for the anchor to drag the chain would probably have fouled the engines not being injured and being workable while the fires were not extinguished that is to say for a few minutes longer they could have made an effort by help of steam and her paddles to turn her astern off the rocks but if they had succeeded they must have settled down immediately the rock indeed in some degree stopped the breach and prevented the entrance of the water it was at least an obstacle while the hole once freed it would have been impossible to stop the leak or to work the pumps to snatch a poniard from a wound in the heart is instant death to the victim to free the vessel from the rock would have been simply to founder the cattle on whom the water was gaining in the hold were lowing piteously clubin issued orders launch the longboat imbrancam and tongrouille rushed to execute the order the boat was eased from her fastenings the rest of the crew looked on stupefied all hands to assist cried clubin this time all obeyed clubin self-possessed continued to issue his orders in that old sea dialect which french sailors of the present day would scarcely understand Haul in a rope. Get a cable if the capstan does not work. Stop heaving. Keep the blocks clear. Lower away there. Bring her down stern and bows. Now then, all together, lads. Take care she don't lower stern first. There's too much strain on there. Hold the lanyard of the stock tackle. Stand by there. The longboat was launched. At that instant, the Durand's paddles stopped, and the smoke ceased. The fires were drowned the passengers slipped down the ladder and dropped hurriedly into the long-boat imbrancam lifted the fainting tourist carried him into the boat and then boarded the vessel again the crew made a rush after the passengers the cabin-boy was knocked down and the others were trampling upon him imbrancam barred their passage not a man before the lad he said he kept off the sailors with his two black arms picked up the boy and handed him down to the guernsey man who was standing upright in the boat the boy saved in brancam made way for the others and said pass on meanwhile clubin had entered his cabin and had made up a parcel containing the ship's papers and instruments he took the compass from the binnacle handed the papers and instruments to imbrancam and the compass to tongrouille and said to them get aboard the boat they obeyed the crew had taken their places before them now cried clubin push off a cry arose from the longboat what about yourself captain i will remain here shipwrecked people have little time to deliberate and not much for indulging in tender feeling those who were in the longboat and in comparative safety however felt an emotion which was not altogether selfish all the voices shouted together come with us captain no i remain here the guernsey man who had some experience of the sea replied listen to me captain you are wrecked on the hanways swimming you would have only a mile to cross to plemont in a boat you can only land at roquen which is two miles there are breakers and there is the fog 
our boat will not get to Roquen in less than two hours. It will be a dark night. The sea is rising, the wind getting fresh. A squall is at hand. We are now ready to return and bring you off, but, if bad weather comes on, that will be out of our power. You are lost if you stay here. Come with us. The Parisian chimed in. The long-boat is full, too full, it is true, and one more will certainly be one too many, but we are thirteen, a bad number for the boat, and it is better to overload her with a man than to take an ominous number. Come, Captain. Toncruil added, It was all my fault, not yours, Captain. It isn't fair for you to be left behind. I have decided to remain here, said Clubin. The vessel must inevitably go to pieces in the tempest to-night. I won't leave her. When the ship is lost, the captain is already dead. People shall not say I didn't do my duty to the end. Tongruil, I forgive you. Then, folding his arms, he cried, Obey orders! Let go the rope and push off! The longboat swayed to and fro. Imbran Cam had seized the tiller. All the hands which were not rowing were raised towards the captain. Every mouth cried, "'Cheers for Captain Clubin!' "'An admirable fellow,' said the American. "'Sir,' replied the Guernsey man, "'he is one of the worthiest seamen afloat.' Tongruil shed tears. "'If I had had the courage,' he said, "'I would have stayed with him.' The longboat pushed away and was lost in the fog. Nothing more was visible. The beat of the oars grew fainter and died away. Clubin remained alone. End of chapter five of book six. Recording by Paul Adams. www.yawnguy.com.